Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. At the beginning of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle speaks in a strange way. Verse 1, For we know that if our earthly tabernacle dwelling is taken down, we have a building from God, a dwelling not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, we may consider that we understand this at least in part, but listen to verse 2. For also in this we groan, longing to be clothed upon with our dwelling place from heaven. If indeed being clothed, we will not be found naked. Actually, what Paul is expressing here is his deep longing and desire to be raptured. Rapture is a topic that fascinates millions today. Even unbelievers are intrigued by this topic, as we've seen by the tremendous popularity of a recent series of novels on this subject. But what is most often missed by Christians considering rapture is that it is linked not just to our initial salvation, but much more to our growth and maturity in the divine life. For as we grow and mature, our longing for this day deepens, as we can clearly see in Paul's words. For also we who are in this tabernacle groan, being burdened, and that we do not desire to be unclothed, but clothed upon, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Bob Dankers joined us today. Intriguing uh, and interesting fellowship before us, isn't it, Bob? It is, Chris. As we consider these verses in the beginning of Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, it may not be uh, so obvious or yeah. apparent what we are really looking at here. Here Paul, in the beginning of this chapter, says that he has a longing that uh, he would not die and thereby be unclothed. Meaning losing his body. Losing his outer covering, which right. is his mortal body. Right. Rather, he had the deep longing that his mortal body, that mortal dying part <laughs> of his being, would be transfigured in glory, and that he would be clothed with a glorified body, right. a body that's no longer mortal or capable of succumbing to death. So here's a deep longing on the part of the Apostle Paul. What produces such a longing in a believer? We could ask ourselves, I could ask myself, do I have such a longing within me? Uh, to be clothed upon with a glorified, transfigured body, uh -huh. like the one we will have when the Lord comes. This, as you have already pointed out, is a matter of the degree of our growth in the life of Christ. How much 
Christ has grown in us, how much we have been filled, saturated, and permeated with Christ. How ready are we for this to take place, for our body to be transfigured? It's not a simple matter. It's not just a matter of being reborn to become a spiritual babe in Christ. No, after being born again, we need to diligently pursue and seek the growth in the divine life so that we may reach maturity and be ready for our bodies to be transfigured and glorified. This is such a key point. The Bible uses the type of a harvest of a crop, a wheat crop, for example, that has grown to maturity, has ripened, is now golden in the head, waiting to be harvested. And that really is the proper analogy uh, through which we need to view and understand this matter of rapture and this uh, transfiguration, as you said, the changing of our body in an instant is something that takes place at the time when the believers are raptured. So uh, they're all linked together and inseparable from this matter of growth and maturity, aren't they? That's right, Chris. We can see this especially in Revelation chapter 14. In the beginning of that chapter, there are 144,000 first fruits who are standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. These are the ripe ones, the first ripe ones who have been taken off of the earth and are in the heavens with Christ. Later on, we can see that the harvest, the general harvest, is reaped. And this is a picture of of rapture. Rapture is the harvesting of God's crop, which depends absolutely on the maturity and the ripeness of that crop. And as you pointed out, and what uh, becomes the focus of our first section here, as we now uh, join Witness Lee, is that as this growth and maturity take place, uh, something comes with it. In fact, a couple of things come with it. One is this longing, this desire to have this uh, new clothing And secondly, there's a desire, which we'll get into in the middle portion today, an ambition better describes it, an ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. And we see that in verse 9 also in chapter 5. Therefore, also we are determined, whether at home or abroad, to gain the honor of being well-pleasing to him. So a desire, a longing, and an ambition. These are clear indicators of our growth in life, as we'll see today. Here's Witness Lee. From chapter 3, Paul begins to uh, fellowship about their qualifications to be the uh, New Testament ministers. The qualifications are fully recorded to the end of chapter 4. Then, from the first verse of chapter 5, Paul expressed his aspiration his desire, his longing that he wanted to be raptured. He was ready to be raptured. He was mature. He was a piece of wheat in the wheat field. He became golden already. When the wheat becomes golden, that is the time for reaping, for harvesting. He was really ready to be raptured. The desire always comes from maturity. A little babe, he was delivered yesterday, and that little one just lying there, no desire at all. (laughs) 
because there's new growth, new maturity. The more growth you have, the more maturity you have, the deeper, higher desire you have. So Paul's thought here is quite profound. His thought is fully saturated with God. He was such a person. He was ready for reading. And uh, he did long to be ruptured. When you have such a longing, then what you need? You need an ambition. Ambition to please the Lord. So, you see, such a section comes up. After the longing to be clothed upon with a transfigured body. Bob, this is one of those portions where to really understand it, I think you have to see it in its context. And uh, there's quite a bit that is uh, leading up to this in 2 Corinthians as the Apostle Paul is describing what he and the other ministers of the New Covenant have gone through, isn't there? That's right, Chris. As you look at the chapters before chapter 5, what you can see here is that Paul and his fellow apostles were very particular kinds of persons. Their chief qualification for their apostleship was not that they had graduated from a seminary and had a doctor's degree. Their chief qualification is that they were persons who were filled with Christ. They were saturated with Christ. Uh, Even they were transformed into the image of Christ. Their whole being was constituted with the the living person of Christ as the life-giving and transforming spirit. And as such constituted persons, they lived a certain kind of life. They lived a life that was a shining forth of the reality of the gospel that they preached. Mm -hmm. So their living and their preaching were one. They were such persons, and this qualified them for their ministry. Now, after giving their qualifications, showing the believers what kind of persons they are as ministers of the new covenant— Then Paul here tells us that as a fully mature God-man, as a full-grown believer in Christ, full of life, full of the divine eternal life of God, that he has a deep longing within him to be glorified uh, in his mortal body so that he says that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Life here means the divine eternal life of God. So Paul's aspiration or longing here was that the divine life which had filled his inner being would also permeate his physical body. So he was such a person Mm. ready to be raptured, ready to be glorified with the Lord to have his body transfigured. So as we've seen, uh, Bob, in recent programs, uh, we're really seeing the whole process of God's full salvation here from the moment that we are regenerated, born again in our spirit, where in an instant we receive the divine life initially. But then the long process, which is the transformation of our soul, our being, this permeation, as you described it, and and what Paul uh, is really describing in the previous chapters was the experience of the apostles. But that is not something in an instant, as we've seen. That's a lifelong process. But eventually, ultimately, we have become saturated with the divine life to such an extent that it even swallows up at the end our physical, mortal bodies. Tremendous, isn't it? Absolutely tremendous. And this should be the goal and aspiration of every believer. 
Well, as we mentioned before, uh, and he referred to at the end of the portion there, with this longing, this desire to be uh, transfigured comes an ambition. And then, as we read, and I'll read just this portion again in verse 9, to gain the honor of being well-pleasing to the Lord. Here's Witness Lee once again. After the longing to be closed, a section comes up. What section? Just, I am ambitious to please the Lord. I don't need anything. I am matured. I am ready. I'm waiting here to be raptured. While I am so ready here, I only have one thing in my heart. That is to please my Lord. I have no other ambition. I have no other aim, no other goal. My only goal, my only ambition is to please the Lord. By what way? By living to Him. This little preposition too bothers every teacher and every student of the Bible. Why Paul doesn't say living by him, nor living for him, nor living with him, not by, not for, not with, but to. Why? Because now you all have to turn to Galatians 2.19. There you have the same kind of expression. I do not live to law. I live to God. What is to live to law? To live to law means you are under the law. And you are directed by the law. You are governed by the law. And you have the responsibility to fulfill the law. And you have the duty to complete the law. This is to live to the law. Okay, now, to live to God. What does it mean? It means you are under his direction, under his control, under his governing, and you have to fulfill his requirements, fulfill his desire to complete what he wants to complete. The word people, they are living to themselves. And here the verse is that the love of Christ constrains us to live to him, not to ourselves. Apostles, they only had one thing as an ambition, to please the Lord by living to him. Bob, we have this little phrase in verse 9, be pleasing to him. These last two words are picked up again in verse 15. I think this is the key verse to understanding this passage. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them. As he pointed out, our natural thought would substitute by him, live by him, live for him, live with him. Any of those prepositions seem to work uh, in, in our uh, typical understanding. But to live to him is really implying something very deep and profound, isn't it? Yes, it does, Chris. Actually, there is a real contrast between living for the Lord and living to the Lord. We may live for the Lord, meaning whatever we do is for him, and yet uh, it may not please him. <laughs> we may do things for him according to our concept 
of what he would want. Then in the final analysis, we may find out that he was not pleased with those things. But to live to a person really implies that we live in intimate fellowship, union with that person. We are so sensitive to his desires. Mm. We're so sensitive to what would make him happy. We're so sensitive to his purpose, his plan, what he wants to accomplish in us and through us, not what we want to accomplish for him. Everything initiates with him. We are under his direction, under his control. We're governed by him, and everything we do is to please him and to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. Paul was such a person who had this ambition to live to the Lord, to be utterly pleasing to him, just as, I would say, the Lord Jesus lived to the Father. Yes. When he was on the earth, he lived absolutely to the Father, doing the Father's will, doing the Father's work on the earth, uh, carrying out the Father's plan and purpose. He was really absolutely one with the Father, living to please the Father in every aspect of his life. It somewhat implies the direction to which we are focused and aimed, doesn't it? I mean, we could be living for the Lord, doing all manner of things in a sense. And in a very real way, I think all of us, when we receive the Lord, kind of have that feeling. I'm living for God now. I'm living for the Lord now. But this expression, living to him, is really much higher, isn't it? It's right. It's much, much higher. It requires that we remain in the presence of the Lord. In a sense, we're looking into his eyes, and we can tell whether he's pleased or whether he's not pleased just by looking into his eyes. Paul lived in such an intimate way, and Paul is a pattern for all the believers. We all should live no longer to ourselves, that is, to please ourselves and under the control of ourselves, but we should live to the Lord to please him and to live under his control. We have a helpful, I think, practical illustration of uh, this phrase, living to him, in the portion just ahead. Let's go back to Witness Lee. If you are going to get a better promotion, say you are working for a company, you're thinking, you're sleeping, you're dreaming, everything must be to that company. Now, everything. When you buy a pair of shoes, you would consider, how about the boss? Look at the pair of shoes. How about the boss? Think about you. Uh Uh-huh. I cut long hair, okay, and how about, how about the, uh, the general manager, when he saw long hair on my head, probably next minute he would give me a check and tell me, don't come back. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I am an employee living to that company. You see, my two shoes are to that company, my long hair or short hair whatsoever is to that company. Even I'm going to get a pair of eyeglasses, I have to consider the style, the color, the material. And I did it. When I was saying, I did this, I got the highest promotion, the quickest. I lived to that company. Paul was living not to himself, not to anything else, just to his master. How I can please him. How I can please him? To do this way or that way? To wear these kind of things or that kind of things? What will please him? Because I don't live to myself. I live to him. 
as long as you get this point, you know the entire section. Paul was ripe. He was mature. He was ready. He just wanted to please his master. He wanted to please the very Lord whom he was waiting for. He had such an ambition, such an ambition to please him. Not by going to Missionville, not by doing a good work. That is to please yourself. That is to live to you, not to him. But to please him by living to him in every bit of your daily life, in your work, in everything related to you. You must consider to him, to him. To him is your real concern. Oh, Bob, that is a really valuable illustration and says it so well uh, that to live to him means that he is in our consideration in everything, in every aspect of our daily life, isn't it? That's right, Chris. This implies that we have a very intimate relationship with the Lord, that our real concern is to make him happy in every detail of our living, the way we dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way we behave ourselves in all kinds of situations and so forth. I mean, our daily life is filled with details. If we would consider the Lord in all of them, then we would be able to live to him. This is a very important point because later on Paul said that he realized that they all would have to stand before the Lord at his judgment seat to give an account of their living whether that was pleasing to the Lord or whether it was not pleasing to the Lord. And I was reminded in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord said, Many will come to him in that day, and they'll say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do works of power in your name? Didn't we do many things in your name? They, and the Lord didn't deny that they did these things, but he did tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So, these ones who did so many things for the Lord were actually not pleasing the, to the Lord. They were pleasing themselves. They were doing it to themselves. We should consider the Lord in every detail of our living that we may live to him to carry out his purpose, his plan, and to satisfy his heart in every matter of our daily life. You mentioned something a moment ago, I think it was in the previous section. I want to come back to it here as we close, because this is a critical point, that this is not what would Jesus do. And I think people know what I mean when I say that, this very popular kind of slogan that has, uh, you know, uh, been been so widely uh, seized upon by Christians everywhere as a kind of a model or direction on how to live the Christian life, where we sort of consider all the time, what would Jesus do now? We're not talking about that, and you said it earlier, and that is that This has to come in this intimate, almost face-to-face contact with the Lord Jesus, this intimate, close contact. In fact, Paul in uh, chapter 4 uses the term to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that's altogether a different proposition, isn't it? That's right. We have the face of Christ in our spirit right within us. This face is something subjective to us, and we need to be constantly looking into the Lord's face. He is the Spirit, and He is in our spirit. So this is an intimate, inward 
union and fellowship that we have with him that indicates to us what is pleasing to him and what is not pleasing to him. He's a living person. Yeah. We don't have to ask, what would he do? <laughs> because he is right within us. If we, if we look in his face, we'll know, won't we? We will know what he would do and what he is doing right at this moment. Wish we had more time here. We've gone a little bit long, but I felt this was an important point to uh, close with. But uh, as always, Bob, I enjoy your fellowship and hope that you can come back uh, very many more times as we go on in Second Corinthians. I look forward to the next time. Well, we'll leave you with our toll-free number. At least we have that much time and invite you to contact us. It's one eight 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 life study 888-543-3788. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.